0: What a great group of kids and teachers. Go to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verse 9. If you're a guest, we welcome you here. If you're a guest online and tuning in and have never tuned in before, we're so thankful for you too, even though we're not able to see you face to face, maybe one day that'll happen. Ephesians, I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes 1, 9 says, history merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. This is funny because as I prepare sermons, I sometimes will get really inspired and I'll see something that I've never seen before. And when I first started in ministry, I would be like, man, I preached this message and I'm telling you, I don't think there's ever been a message like this one. God gave me this divine word and, oh, I'm going to just, God's going to blow our minds today with this message and I... and. I'd get really excited, and the longer I have gone in ministry, the more I realize that God gives ministers, preachers, speakers, divine revelations and words for that local congregation, that body of believers, that the people, that, that person is called to minister to that day. But I'm of the belief that there is no original message. Meaning, I'm never going to get up and preach something that has never been preached before somewhere in the world. Because people have been preaching and proclaiming God's word for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And so there are, God absolutely speaks and there's a divine unction of the spirit to deliver a very specific topic to a specific group of people. But there's really no new thing under the sun. My point for this is, even seeing God's word, is that we often think that what we're going through, what we're experiencing, is unique to us. Like, never, nobody's ever gone through what I'm going through right now. No one has ever struggled with what I'm struggling with right now. No one has ever been tempted like I'm being tempted right now. No one's ever been talked about or 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 hurt as bad as I am right now. but really history merely repeats itself we it it it's somewhere someone's preached a message like this somewhere someone's dealt with some of the things that you're dealing with and those are real. nobody's trying to belittle those things but history just merely repeats itself. There's no new thing under the sun. And the Bible says that every temptation that has ever come upon us, it falls, it falls in three categories, really. It says in 1 John two sixteen all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father but of the world. Three categories, everything, everything that you deal with. Everything that you're tempted with, it falls under lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we see this in the book of beginnings. We see this in the book of Genesis. And I know I've referenced this story before, but we look again at Genesis 3.1. It says, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree of which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. The serpent said to the woman, you're not going to die, for God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes are going to be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and gave also to her husband with her. So don't blame it on the woman. Somewhere my wife is in Boise, Idaho, saying amen online right now. Visiting family. But don't blame it on the woman. The husband with her. And he did eat. Today, I want to talk on this topic. Ask the right questions. Ask the right questions. Jesus, we love you. You are great, greatly to be praised. There's no one like you, God. You are incredible, awesome, worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. Lord, and thank you for receiving our praise that we offered to you today. Lord, I pray that your word would accomplish everything. Everything that it's capable of accomplishing, which is incredible, miraculous things, we just have to let it happen. So Lord, speak through me, allow me to be anointed to deliver this message that comes from you. In your name we pray, amen. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. You look back at Genesis 3, 6, and we see those things very clearly in that opening temptation as sin enters the world. He says, look. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that is lust of the flesh, then it was pleasant to the eyes. What is that? Lust of the eyes. And it was a tree desired to make one wise. Pride of life. That's why the previous verse, hey, if you eat that, you're going to be like gods. Oh, interesting. Huh. So that's actually what opened the conversation there for her to start looking at lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. You can be like a God. Wow, that, that, that sounds intriguing. I'd possibly be interested in that. But we see all that's in the world is there. But just like it was in the book of Genesis, there's no new thing under the sun. The history merely repeats itself. Here we are in 2021, and just like back then, every temptation we face today begins with the same question that was posed to Eve in the garden. Hath God said. The devil started by planting doubt in the mind of humankind about whether or not is God's word really true? Does it really apply to you and where you are right now in this present situation? And if you choose not to follow it, are there really that extreme of consequences? Or can I go ahead and do some of these things, enjoy this for a season, take this, it's only a piece of fruit, let's just eat it, and just, I mean, it's just one thing, and so it's not a huge deal, and if I do this, it's not a huge deal, then it's probably not going to have lasting repercussions. And so, we still operate in this mentality as human beings today. People don't just turn away from God and sin. It starts with, hath God said, is his word really real? Does it really apply to me? Is it really a big deal? Can I get away with it? Ah, I'm just not sure, right? The Amplified version puts it like this. Can it really be that God has said? Good News translation says, did God really tell you not to? New Century version says, did God really say you must not? New Living says, did God really say? But all of them, every translation is the same. Let's question what God just said. The devil even tried planting this same seed of doubt in the mind of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 4, he takes him up. Oh, if you just turn that stone into bread, if you just bow down and worship me, if you just take yourself up, throw yourself off, and, 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 and the angels will come and save you. And And Jesus resisted the temptation. He quoted scripture, and he commanded the devil to leave. He knew. It's stop talking, get, get, greater is he, and he just starts listing out these scriptures, and boom, and they just, and, and the devil has to leave when you quote that scripture, but Eve, not so much, right, my, my question is, what was Eve doing hanging around the one place God told her not to mess with, why is she even there, don't eat of that tree, and so I'm not going to have a picnic next to that tree. she was doing the very thing Paul warned us not to do in Romans 13. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Leave that passage up because that's a that's a very powerful but yet succinct passage, one that is an incredible principle for life. I know we're not doing principles for life is on Wednesdays. I don't, but I want to preach and teach life principles too because my goal in the message is not just to get you excited. Because then we can get excited, respond at an altar, and really we cannot change based on just the sheer excitement. But if I can get you educated, then you can come to an altar and your mind can go, I want to intentionally align with this. So when I leave this place, I can live a different life than what I'm living right now. And so Paul says, he says, don't make provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Guess what? If all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, we might think we're super powerful Christians, but guess what is going to impact your life and tempt you at some point? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I don't care how long you've walked with God. I don't care what your titles are, how many times you've taught Sunday school, sang specials, led worship, preached messages, pastored a church, been a youth pastor. I don't care if you've evangelized, been a missionary. It does not matter. Every person is going to be exposed to lust of flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. This is why Paul says we have to die daily. We have to crucify the flesh. We have to fast and deny flesh and learn to walk in the spirit. But we still know that just like, just like what God says to Cain, Cain, if thou doest well, wilt thou not be accepted. But if not, sin's knocking on the door. Sin is always knocking on your door. It's always trying to get into your home and trying to get into your life at all times. And so we have to know, I can't make provision. If sin's knocking on the door, I can't unbolt the deadbolt and take a peek. I have to say, no, if sin's lying at the door, like we read about in Genesis, then I'm going to not make provision for my flesh to fulfill its lust. Well, this is practical. What does this look like? Well, everybody has a different thing. I talked about this yesterday, that that if if, if anybody's ever been, like no one really boxed. Has anybody boxed here ever at any time in your life? Okay, there's a couple more than maybe than yesterday, <laughs> There, there weren't, the, so this is the fighters yesterday was the lovers, I guess. I don't know. But, but, uh, but if you have an injury in a fight and, and you have a cracked rib, if, if your rib gets cracked during a fight, a good fighter is going to know it's not nice, but you're not nice when you're fighting. And so a good fighter is going to know that that rib is cracked. What are they going to do? They're not going to be like, well, let's, let's stay fair. I'm going to stay away from that. Is it your right or your left? No, 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 if, if I cracked this left rib and I'm boxing, somebody that's fighting is going to go, and they're going to, they're going keep to keep going after that spot because what happens is in a fight, what am I going to do? I'm going to eventually, I'm going to start to try to protect that left rib and I'm not, and now my mind is not on the fight. It's on the pain that I'm experiencing right here. And so now, I'm going to start to try and fight you like this. Well, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to get knocked out. I'm going to get knocked out. Some of you looking at me, I said, talk to Tim. He's worked out with me at nine-round kickboxing. Okay, I can throw a a couple punches. I just want you all to know that, okay? So, but he's going to get knocked out trying to do like this. And for us, you know what? The devil, he knows. He knows what your weakness is. And guess what? You have one. We we, we sometimes get real judgmental toward people because they sin differently than we do. Well, look at the anger. I can't believe he or she is so angry like that. And then you all go off and cuss or go off and... Look at something online that you shouldn't be looking at, or go take a substance or something like. Listen, there's a, none of it. I, I, I'm going to be angry and sin not, but I'm also going to stay away from substances. I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and stay away from. So when I when it says don't make provision for the flesh to fulfill their lust thereof, well, if you are a, a recovering alcoholic, somebody who says, well, I'm trying to walk away from this lifestyle of of what has plagued me for so many years, well. Even if you come into a church and repent and get baptized, well, you shouldn't go back to the bars to do bar ministry. Okay? Like, I'm not going to be like, man, I used to hang out at that corner tavern, but now, Pastor, I'm going to go reach my friends. Well, reach them, just not in that location, because that would be making provision for the flesh. If you have struggled with lust and there's perversion and things like that, well, then don't go online at 2 in the morning. Let's get a filter and put your computer in a very... uh, specific location in the kitchen where the whole family sees, don't take electronics to your to, to dark places and go in your room. I'm, I'm being practical here. And so we have to say there are certain things that I'm going to not make provision for the flesh. So if you are a married person and somebody says, well, I just needed to talk to you about business and all of a sudden they shoot you a text, I immediately have to block that person, delete them from my phone, let my wife know that someone texted me something, because why? I'm not making provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Well, what's the problem with you? Do you have an issue with anger and lust, and are you thinking about leaving your wife? No, 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 I just don't want it to ever get to those points. And so we, make pro- we don't make provision, we set up safeguards that says, here's the line, and under no circumstance do I ever cross that line. Because the enemy knows, the enemy knows if the rib is cracked, can I punch somebody in the ribs? I'm just kidding. No. So if the rib is cracked, they know, (laughs) that's what boxers do. I think you're supposed to make that noise. (laughs) I thought it sounded cooler than just silence. Did it add effect? Okay, good. All right, I got some thumbs up over there. So. And so I have to I have to make sure that that I'm not making provision. But here's the thing, when the enemy comes and tries to get you in the ring, here's I don't I can look at the enemy like Jesus and go there's not even a fight. I don't I don't have to get in the ring. You're already defeated. You've already been beat. That's, I, don't, I don't have to get in the ring and start trying to fight a battle that has already been determined. It's like someone winning the World Series, the Super Bowl, and people start talking trash after it. And you're like, oh, yeah, well, let's go again. We'll get you this time. I don't, I don't need to take on that battle. I already have the trophy. I, I'm, I'm already the winner. Not not to bring up old Super Bowl wounds. I just that was not my intention. How can we walk with God? Well, how do we avoid falling into the three categories of sin? It all starts with asking the right questions. Just like Bible quizzing, I used this example yesterday. Lane, what a great Bible quizzer he is. He went to nationals and had a personal trophy, high-scoring individual. But as awesome as he is, I've seen him make a mistake or two. Sometimes he answers the question, and he says, blah, 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 blah. quotes and tells who's what, and, and, and he just lays out all the information. And you're like, yes. And they're like, I'm sorry. That is incorrect. And you're like, I'm telling you, Bible quizzing will test you. And especially when you don't fully understand. Like I'm getting way better, guys, way better. Way better. My wife was the master expert quizzer. I would walk in and be like, Now why'd they do that? What's the what's the deal? You know? I'm the type that'll start quoting and says, it's the general vicinity. I missed a th. It's not a big deal. <laughs> Remember when I got to preach a BQE, I was like, I am not quoting any scripture in front of these guys. <laughs> and I and I and I read them all and I actually came down and one of the one of the youth actually walked up, had a senior quizzing. This was several years ago, and they said, Thank you for not." Trying to quote scripture because speakers always do that and they're always wrong. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> but, but I've seen him lay out all this information, it seems perfect. And they said, I'm sorry, that is incorrect. And I'm like, why? And every once in a while, some brother foster will lean over and he'll say, Well, that's because he said, uh, Tell me why, and it was supposed to be what. And I'm like, Who cares? And he'll say, well, he didn't ask the right question because when you interrupt, you have to finish the question before giving the answer. If you've never gone to a Bible quiz event, you really at some point in your life have to just jump in a car, drive a couple hours, usually they quiz in all different places, Columbia, two hours, and just go see your team because you would, you would really be, you think you're impressed now, watch them quiz, you'd be more impressed, I'm telling you. But Sometimes they don't ask the right question. The key is asking the right questions. When Eve began to entertain the question from the devil that brought doubt to God's authority and word, it began a downward spiral in the quality and the closeness of her relationship with God big problems arise when we start questioning the truth and authority of what God has asked us to do and not do. Does God really care about the way that I live? Does God really care about my hair or my apparel or my dress? Does God really care about the fact like I was baptized a different way or to repent and be baptized? Is that really a big deal? Is the Bible really still for our day? I mean, is it a huge deal for me to come on a service and worship? I can. I don't have to be at every church. service. I don't have to give. I don't have to serve. I mean, is Is it it really that huge of a thing? And some of the issues that are clearly addressed in God's word are the very issues that the the children of God will begin questioning. And when you boil it down, it's the same question that the serpent posed to Eve in Genesis. It just has different wrapping because history merely repeats itself. There's no new thing under the sun. Now, the question has moved from the book of Genesis. Hath God said to 2021 is it a heaven or hell issue? Is it a heaven or hell issue? In my opinion, that question is insulting to God. We, as the bride of Christ, have been purchased with his own blood. We have been bought and therefore, bought and paid for with a price. And the Bible says, therefore, glorify God with your body. We pose an insulting question to God when we say, I know I'm the bride, I know I'm the bride as the church, I'm the bride of Christ, but my question is, will you divorce me over this issue? Will you divorce me over this thing? Because if not, I'm not going to align. I mean, because to me, there is an insinuation in Scripture. I find it interesting that John 3, 5 says, except a man is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. We're talking about entrance into the kingdom. But Hebrews 12 says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. That to me sounds like it's a little bit more difficult depth than just the entrance. It's kind of like getting tickets to a concert or to a sporting event. Hey, I got in the door, standing room only, I'm in the nosebleeds, I'm using my binoculars, I could see people on the field. I got entrance though, man, I was at the game, I was at the concert versus, no, I'm actually have a backstage pass to, to hang out and spend time with the lead singer or with the quarterback, or with whatever, I can go in the locker room. There, there, it seems like there's a difference between entrance and actually seeing. And so to me, I'm not interested in just the bare minimum to enter. The attitude of some believers is if it's not going to send me to hell, then I'm not letting go of it. And then pastors will argue about what 's a heaven or hell issue is it is it really going to be heaven or hell and what about this what about do I really need to serve is what about tithing is that you think it's heaven or hell what about apparel what about worship what about church attendance what about serving in ministry i mean what is the bare minimum here, God? I want to know because I am a Christian. I believe in you, and I, and I do want to make it to heaven, but I just don't want to do all this other unnecessary stuff. So if you could just tell me what is the bare minimum that will keep me from divorce, then I'll go ahead and do that. I mean, something, could you, could you imagine going into your marriage like that? With this ring, I thee wed. Here are my covenants and my commencements. But, but before we go into all that, can I just know what's, I mean, wh- where's the line? I mean, if I sleep with somebody else, are you divorcing me? What about, I mean, when we drive, do I, do I have to hold your hand when we drive? When you talk, do I have to get off my phone and actually look you in the eye and listen? I mean, because I, I know you want me to, but, but I mean, is that a divorce issue? I mean, are you going to lead me over that? I mean, do we have to sleep in the same, but do I have to ki- give you a kiss goodnight before we go to sleep? I mean, is that a deal breaker? Imagine having this conversation with somebody. Would you stick around? Yeah, I was getting ready to, will you be, Well, hang on one second. I just want to get some things clear. Can I still do these things and we can still stay together? Do I have to open the car door? Do I have, I mean, do, right, do you expect me to act like Chris Purcell? I mean, is that, is that, you know? I say that with loving respect. Everybody, everybody, you know, I've had people come up to me and say to me, is brother and sister Purcell going to start a small group on marriage? Because I want to go to that. They're just like, somehow they become the model marriage for the church. Am I embarrassing you guys yet? No, because I can keep going. This microphone gives me power. (laughs) I'll still dunk on him though, but no. (laughs) So, imagine having this conversation. Are these things requirements? Well, no, yeah, if you sleep with somebody else, I'm divorced from you. Oh, but all those other things, you better do those things. Okay, so, but, so, so you're saying that I, that's, not, that's, not a, that's not an issue that's going to cause divorce. Because then I'm not doing any of that. It's just extra work. It sounds preposterous. It sounds crazy. We chuckle, we laugh because it sounds insane. But yet so many Christians live their life for God the exact same way. Do I really have to spend time with the other? Do I have to wake up and talk to you every day? I mean, do I really got to do the fasting thing? Do you really expect me to dress the part? Do you think that hair and apparel, does that matter? Does it really matter just tithing? I mean, like, do I have to give money? You say something about offerings, too. What about that? So, so I got the tithing, but is the offering, is that kind of optional or is that mandatory? Do you want me to serve in ministry, too? I'm supposed to give up time and money? This is crazy. But if I'm his bride, question is not about what the bare minimum is. When I married my wife, good Lord, I'm not a perfect husband most of the time. But I did not walk in going, what's the bare minimum around here, Jackie? (laughs) I mean, I'm still trying. It might not look like it at times, but I am. Because I want my wife every day. To wake up and say, I'm so thankful I married you. I'm so thankful to, to be your wife and to have you as my husband. I, I want that. That to me, outside of making heaven my home, that is the most important thing in my life. So we're doing some marriage teaching here too. But, but I want to live for Jesus Christ the same way. Oh God, what is it? What is it that you want to do? What is it that you want to accomplish? Because you know what it happens? Is if we're not careful, we get to the point where the Bible says our bodies are the living sacrifice. And there was an, always an altar in the Old Testament. They would bring a sacrifice, lay that on the altar. And it was not fun. That's why it's called sacrifice. Imagine in the heat of the desert, killing an animal, having blood all over, dragging the carcass, putting it up, lifting it up on the altar. There's a lot of bad backs in the Old Testament, no doubt. And they didn't have pain management clinics, all right? And so throwing that animal carcass up there and then burning that. And then there's just this, all this, it was, it was sacred. The sacrifice was sacrifice. But now in the New Testament, we want the sacrifice to be comfortable, Because now this is the body. Our bodies are the living sacrifice. And so there's still an altar. That's why when we say, oh, I open up these altars, it's a great thing to approach an altar. It's not a tradition of a church, but it's a mindset of, oh, I'm leaving where I'm at and I'm going to this place, just like the Old Testament, except we're not bringing an animal and killing an animal, but we're coming to this area that has been sanctified and set apart for a divine purpose where we respond to God by taking our bodies, laying it on the the altar and saying, God, I want to please you. But in doing that, oftentimes what we, not necessarily us, but humanity today is doing is we're going, what, what are, what's the required sacrifice? What's the bare minimum? Because I ain't trying to work more than what I need to work. But here's the problem. I don't want to just always say, what's the bare minimum? I want my mindset to shift where I'm going, God, what could I possibly bring you as a sacrifice? I love you. I want to align with you. I'm bringing to this altar, what is it? Not just what is the bare minimum, but what can I bring you as a sacrifice? Because if something pleases God, I want to do it, whether it's a heaven or hell issue. What would happen to the quality of our marriages if we did? What, what about school? Anybody in any type of further education? Who's in education right now? You are getting an education in some way, shape, or form. All right. They didn't raise their hands yesterday. I said, would you guys all drop out of school? <laughs> so we have a lot of people furthering your education in some way. If you said, all right, teach. What's the bare minimum to get back? Is it, what's the flunking grade? Is it C, D, F? All right, so what do I need to do to get to D minus so I can get on to the next? I can get on. To, and I know people that have lived this life, and they are not world changers, okay? I'll just tell you. But what if we walked in and said, what's the bare minimum I need to get by? Because it, it you got four papers due this semester. Can I do two of them and still pass? Man, you ain't changing the world, all right? We got a we got a little sign in our bathroom that says everyone wants to talk about changing the world. It says, but nobody wants to change the toilet paper. (laughs) Be a world changer, change the toilet paper. Eve's downward spiral started when she began questioning, began with the wrong question, the right question for Eve and and, and her time. How can I please you, Lord? How can I walk closer to you? Enoch, Enoch was the opposite of Eve. He was heading the opposite direction. Enoch eventually experienced a a solo rapture. He was taken by God. You're just reading in your bread chart, and you're just going through, and Genesis 5.24 pops up, and it says, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And you're like moving on. You're like, wait, whoa, what just happened? And Enoch walked with God. God took him. I want to know more about that guy. The Bible doesn't give us much more other than Hebrews 11. It says, by faith Enoch was translated. He should not see death. And was not found because God translated him before his translation. Here is his testimony. Here, I'll shed some light on it. He pleased God. And then it moves on. And I'm like, I want to know more about that guy. Enoch went beyond heaven or hell issues. He did anything and everything he could just to please God. Eve had the testimony that she questioned God's word. Enoch had the testimony that he sought to please God according to his word, and they were heading in opposite directions. Eve was not, she was out to please and appease the lust of her flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And Enoch was out to please God. I mean, what what more could be said of you? I can't think of a better thing to put on a tombstone than to say, this man pleased God. You know what? If God opens the door, oh, yeah, oh, I, That's wonderful that God wants to take you that direction. But my goal is, oh, I just, I want to pastor the multitudes, preach conferences, travel around the world. No, if God does that, great. But I, that's not my goal. If someone ever looks at me and just says, hey, that's a guy that pleased God. Wow. That's what I want. Oliver Wendell Holmes said, one, the great thing in this world is not, where we stand, but in what direction we're moving. So folks, the question we are asking today, right now, the question you're asking right now will always be the precursor to the direction in which you're moving. Is it necessary? Is it a big deal? I just don't know. You know, I know you guys preach that. I just, I just, to me, I guess I feel like, I'm not sure, I, in, and that's why you hear me say there should no, never be anything off limits because for some people they'll align and go, "Yep, amen. Cool. Great. Okay, I'll get that. Awesome. Oh, that? Nope. <laughs> never. You ain't touching that one." Oh, well, you can preach that that that. And you start talking about finances, I'm out. You can touch that that that. You start talking about apparel, I'm out. Hang on. Shouldn't there be I mean, as long as I'm in the word, I'm not saying I get up and start doing whatever I want. It's not a cult, okay? But as long as I'm in the Bible, shouldn't there be nothing untouchable in our lives? Shouldn't everything, God, whatever you want, God, whatever you want to do, mold me, shape me, change me. Instead of arguing about required sacrifice, I want to offer a sacrifice. Jesus will always lead us to the deep waters of a relationship with him, not the ankle-deep stuff. Now, I believe every church should have a shallow end of the pool and a deep end of the pool. Because you know what? We're not going to get to the point where, you know, Michael and Rachel are getting ready to have a baby. And they take their brand-new baby and go to the community center and throw the baby off the diving board and say, Hey, it's time for you to learn how to swim. That would, they'd be put in jail. Because that's not the way you have. but but churches though sometimes new believer walks in you're like hey you need to look like this and dress like this and talk like this and worship like this and give like this and serve like this and we're just chucking a new believer into the deep end of the pool and they're like i don't want that right how many of you when you go to a pool you get in like this raise your hand how many of you, when you come to the pool, you're like, oh, it's going to be cold? <laughs> How many of you? <laughs> How many of you didn't raise your hand, you don't like water, and you're never jumping in the pool? Okay, just just making sure. All right. Well, good thing we got you guys baptized, okay? When he does this, right, his goal, God's goal is to lead us into deeper waters in him. When he does this, he alone, though, controls, he controls the current. And most Christians will never, many Christians will never attain the deeper waters because why? It requires them to dive and to move into areas beyond their control. And so for me, I'm going to stay on the stairs, and I'm going to get my ankles wet. Maybe I'll go up, and it'll just go to right here. But I'm going to keep my feet firmly planted on the ground. I'm not going to the deep end. I just start talking about the deep end. And some people are like, whoo, I'm already getting nervous. We're... I should have got a picture of a pool or something, right? So, but we won't move there because here is where I control. I'm the steady ground. I have control. But God's calling us to go into things where he says, you know, just trust me. I'm right here. I'll get just like a parent teaching the child to swim. Anybody that's taught a kid to swim, you start to let, them, no, 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 no. I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm not going to let you go anywhere. Come on, just paddle your feet. Just, no, 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 no. no. Until they eventually get to the point where they're like, all right, dad's with me, dad's with me, I'm good, I'm good, hey, I can do this, whoa, I can do this, I can swim. And God is that same way where he's going, all right, I want you to go from right here to right there. He does not expect you to jump in your first time with God to jump into a deep, and that's not his, that's not his plan. But that's why That's why we love discipleship. And when new believers come in, we'll, we'll get you associated in small groups with people who have walked this way longer. It's not because they love God more than you. It's not because uh, that, that, they're, uh, that they're just some deeper spiritual person and, and, oh, they have a greater calling than you're ever going to have. No, that's not the case. But it's because they have walked this way longer and they've made it through something and look back and say Okay, I have faith because God took me through that and I go like this and I have faith because God took me through that Can you put that in my backyard for pastor appreciates? That'd be nice No And then you take that and you look back and, oh, God made it through. And I start to look further back going, look at all the things that God has brought me through. And when someone comes in and says, I'm trying to change my life, I'm trying to do this, I'm just nervous. You can come along and say, I know I've been there. But let me tell you about the story, the journey that I've taken. And so a disciple maker comes along so someone and says, you can do this. God's got a plan for your life. I know what you're experiencing because I've walked that path. And that's the journey of disciple-making as we grow with God. But, but it requires you to begin to move from where you are to, to the deeper waters. But a large majority of Christians, they won't get there because they stay at the ankle-deep water. Is it a heaven or hell issue? I just don't see it. I think I'm going to stay right here. After all, I'm in the water, ain't I? I mean, you know, I'm in the church. I'm here. I'm here. I'm, I'm here. Yeah, but God wants to go there. Why? I'm fine here. Don't you think I can make it being in here? Maybe. Possibly, yeah. But don't you want to go to the full potential of what God has for you? You just want to stay on the stair? Because you know what usually happens when someone swims too? Those in I was never that crazy person. I love jet skiing, water skiing, but swimming, I'm like, I get bored. Throwing competition, like I'll race to the other side. I'm I'm there. But I had friends that would flip off diving boards and do cartwheels into the water. I'm like, I got self-preservation skills. That ain't me. But they would have a they would have such a blast. Do you know that I was always the first one out of the water? In a pool? It's because when you when you're not in the deep end partaking in things you know what happens is you stay on the shallow end you actually get bored faster and eventually you get out of the pool understand the spiritual connotation here god has deep things that he wants to take you into but when you just stay in the ankle deep water on the stair you can say well i'm still in the church i'm here but you know what when things are not happening that stretch your faith and take you to new dimensions, a lot of times you just you get bored and you leave the water altogether. Some of those things that we're arguing about, heaven or hell issues, ask the right questions. Instead of focusing on the minimum requirements, start focusing on, God, how can I please you? Your slightest wish is my command. Lord, I delight to do your will. Lord, what could I give up as a sacrifice to you? Yeah, but that ain't. you think to me that going to send you to hell for doing that? I'm not even talking about that. I used to go to Bible college, and people would sit around tables, and they would just debate what heaven or hell issue is and theological things, and I never went to those tables. It's not because I was scared of them or they were smarter. They probably were smarter. that's fine. But I did not go to those tables because I'm like, I don't care. The Bible says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so for you, if you guys want to sit and take an entire lunch, I'm here to eat. And that's where I met Jackie. So I did more productive things. <laughs> my father-in-law's back to clapping. Thank God for my son-in-law. He might have been. The lights are bright, I can't see. But, <laughs> but I didn't want to go to that table and, and just, oh yeah, well what about this? Yeah, but but look at this. I'm like At the end of the day, if some of these things were yes, but serving in ministry, that's not gonna put you in heaven. Tithing's not gonna put you in heaven. I don't care. I'm gonna do it anyway. Because to me, there's scripture for these things, and I, I just want to align. I want every part of who I am to be exactly who God wants me to be. I am the bride of Christ. I'm not... I'm not looking to say God, are you going to make me hold your hand when we drive in the car? Are you going to make me look at you when I talk? No I God, I want to be everything that you want me to be I want to be I want to be who you want me to be what you want me to be I want to be the dad you want me to be the husband you want me to be the pastor you want me to be the servant of Jesus Christ that you want me to be. And when we ask these wrong questions, those are the people that are usually mad about something the pastor preached, mad at the pastor himself, bitter at the church, sitting in the shallow water and eventually looking for something that's easier because they can control it rather than go into deeper waters. So you got to trust God. You and I, as I close, you and I are the pride of I don't want to do the bare minimum to get by. I want to come to an altar in just a moment here. And I want to lay myself at this altar and I want to say, God, what do you want me to be? Lord, there's nothing off limits. I remember when I would walk around the church that I grew up in. I got serious about God at seventeen. I'd go there in the mornings before school, college. I'd go there before I'd go work in the restaurant that I worked in, and, and I'd just walk around this big sanctuary, and I just I would just walk in pace. I can't. I'm not a I'm not a one sit in one place prayer. Like I got to be moving. I just I'm walking around the sanctuary, and and it was just so often those mornings I would just be be by myself in there, and I would just be talking to him. I'm like God. I'll I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. God, I, I, I just, I just want to be what you want. I want to be where you want. I want to be who you want. God, if you want a pastor here in Milwaukee, I'll go to I'll go to Florida, I'll go to Wyoming, I'll go to California, I'll go to Zimbabwe, I'll go to Russia, I'll go, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. God, just if you tell me, I promise you I'll go. I just need to know, just open the door. And so I would just be, I'd just be knocking on that door. Lord, I'm here. I just want to hear from you. I just want to be what I want you, what you want me to be. And it's a frustrating process at times because you desire so much to be what God wants you to be, but then there's this process because I get called by God at 17, and I don't start pastoring until I'm 28, but in the meantime, I did everything I could at every part of the church just to serve and develop because God starts to develop things in us and he starts to do things. And I just remember so many times when I went back to Wisconsin two visits ago, I went to that prayer room and I, it was so neat to just go, oh Lord, here I am. You've blessed me. I'm pastoring a great and growing church, but I walked around that prayer room going, wow, this is where it all started, where a a young kid just got a heart for God and started going, God, make me what you want me to be. Mold me and shape me. Sand off the rough edges, Jesus. God, I know that the journey is not going to be easy. I wish it was, but God, it's not going to be. And so I just want you to, to just make me whoever you want me to be. But when we do that, it's not just God stepping in and forcing us to be something—it is us responding, going, God, what am I bringing you? What am I giving up? What am I putting in? There's personal decisions that go with that. As we start to say, God, I know you want to—I just—I want you to make me what you want. When He speaks to you in messages like this, we got to find an altar and lay that sacrifice, that living sacrifice, on an altar and say, Okay, God, what 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 what's what's what am I supposed to give up? What am I supposed to put in? Who do you want me to be today? God? God? Because I could sit here and argue and maybe I can even make good points. Well, I just don't see that. Well, you think the scripture means that? I just don't know if the message means that. I just don't think that that's a big heaven or hell issue. You think that's a requirement? Do you really think that, oh, that's going to give me blessings from God? And we can sit and argue back and forth, but at the end of the day, that's the wrong question. The question is just, God, I am a vessel that is filled with your spirit and I want to bring glory to your name. I want to make heaven my home and I want to bring as many people with me as humanly possible. So God, help me to be everything you want me to be. Change whatever you need to change about me. I sang it yesterday when I said, if you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Take my hands, Lord. Take my feet. Touch my heart. Speak through me, God. Just use me, Jesus. I'm not here to argue about what's required. I'm not here to argue about what the bare minimum is. God, let my life reflect your glory. If it's Sacrifice. I will willingly give it. You don't have to pry it out of me. I want to voluntarily lay myself on an altar and say, let my life bring glory to your name, Jesus. I invite you right now to just begin to respond to him, to maybe bring that living sacrifice to an altar right now, to maybe just respond and leave where you're at and say, it's time for me to ask the right questions. It's time for me to bring this living sacrifice and lay at an altar today and say, God, if you can use anything, Lord, use me, Lord. God, take my life, mold me, shape me, change me. I want to be everything you want me to be. God, I don't want to just be content in the shallow end of the pool, ankle deep. I want to go deeper in you. I want to see things I've never seen. I want to experience things I've never experienced. God, I'm willing to make the sacrifice. If you talk to me today, God, I'll respond. I promise you, Jesus. Just please don't let me stay like I am. I want to be everything you want me to be.